Joining me today on the US Sports Podcast with Max Whittle, Dallas Cowboys defensive lineman Jack Crawford. Episode 11 of the US Sports Podcast with me, Max Whittle. Come on in and join us for a special episode. I sat down with Jack Crawford, born in London, residing and working in Dallas for quite a popular football team, you might say, the Dallas Cowboys. I caught up with Jack before the start of this current season, so before the Dak Prescott and Ezekiel Elliott mania began. Jack talked candidly about how he travelled to the United States not to play football, but another sport he wanted to turn professional in. The feeling he had when he was drafted for the Oakland Raiders, another classic franchise Jack's played for, and where he thinks the game is headed in the UK, having played here for Dallas in 2014, and this week's announcement that there will be four games played in London next season. Christmas is just around the corner, and why not treat yourself to a cash prize at redzonesports.com, the US Sports Podcast official partner. This podcast is sponsored by our partners at redzonesports.com, the bespoke British bookmaker for American sports. As well as the best odds on US sports, money can't buy prize promotions and their very own cheerleading squad, you can get an exclusive £60 deposit match bonus as a new customer by using deposit code USSP on your first deposit. Red Zone is for over 18s only. Betting should be fun, so please gamble responsibly. The website is redzonesports.com. When you register... Enter code USSP and you will be on your way. My four storylines later today will be the announcement of the four NFL games in London for next season. Tom Brady's MVP candidacy at the age of 39. The Dodgers making moves to condemn next season. I know we're not in baseball season right now, but it's hot stove month. And of course, we are going to talk about, why wouldn't we talk about, the plucky and very successful, surprisingly, with the amount of injuries they've had, the Memphis Grizzlies. All that coming up, but first, in his London home, Jack Crawford of the Dallas Cowboys. We'll start with growing up here then. So, this is a long way from the NFL. Yeah, I mean, you know, just like any kid from London, you know, growing up here, um, it was just, you know, I wasn't really, I didn't really think about the NFL. I really didn't, I I wasn't introduced to the NFL until... I went over to the state, so you know, growing up in uh, you know Northwest London, I just did what any kid would do. You know, just I was hanging out with my friends. You know, we was playing football on the street. You know, playing basketball, and um, you know, it wasn't really a vision. You know, until I got to the until I even got to the states. You know, when I was sixteen. I saw an old Raiders video today. Yeah. That you said. Uh that your first, the only team you really knew was the Raiders growing up in the UK. What was your first kind of NFL memory that you can think of when you were growing up? The first NFL-related memory was playing, um, was playing the uh, NFL Blitz on, I think, I think it was on Super Nintendo, maybe, or, or PlayStation 1. And, um, yeah, that was, like, my first memory of it. Like, that's where, like, I remember playing with the Raiders and playing with uh, Rich Gannon. And I didn't even know the rules. Like me and my friends, we didn't know the rules, but we were still playing the game, you know, like we was, you know, <laughs> we were still being like competitively, you know. So, um, you know, that was just the memory I had. It's just ironic that I ended up getting drafted by the Raiders, you know, and that was the team I used back in the video game. So, you know, it's kind of funny in that way. It's fake. Um, right. <laughs> so what schools did you go to from primary up to high school? Um, I went to New End School up in uh, Hampstead. You know, both my brothers went to Kingsgate School around the corner. Um, you know, my mum my and my dad felt it would be better to go to the Hampstead School. 
Um, and uh, from there, I went on to uh, I went on to Hampstead in uh, Cricklewood uh, for a year, and that was kind of like the local school where all my friends, you know, went to from around here. And uh, my friends were a little bit older than me, so I used to hang out with them, and they would kind of you know, go out for lunch in school and I'll go with them and get in trouble and stuff like that. So, so you were the cool, you were the cool gang, right? Yeah, man, I was trying to be, but, um, yeah, no, it was, it just, uh, after my first year, you know, my, my parents felt like I would have a better opportunity, you know, it would be a better, better, um, for me to go to a school that was a little bit more, you know, strict, a little bit more, you know, had a little bit more, uh, order to it and I went to a City of London school Oh, and I think Blackfriars. So, um, yeah, I went there for three years and um, continued my education there. And then from that point forward, I met a, uh, someone called Jenny. And she was actually very involved in the basketball scene in London. And she had ties to, um, you know, East London Royals. And um, she introduced me to, you know, the playing for that team. And she saw me play and she introduced me to the coach for East London Royals. And so I started playing there. And that's really when I got into basketball seriously, you know. And then from that point forward, I met more people. Um, you know, I played for the England national team from there. And then, um, you know, I eventually met someone while I was just playing in South Kilburn, um, who told me about a camp in New Jersey, an ex exposure camp. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I ended up going out to the exposure camp and, uh, you know, getting uh, spotted by St. Augustine Prep School in New Jersey. And before we get to that, yeah. was basketball your first real love? Yeah, so I'd say basketball was definitely my first love, you know, in terms of sports. You know, I mean, I went through phases growing up, but basketball, you know, I really kind of, I felt like I excelled at, and I really felt like I had a love for it first. Um, Did you just see you yourself know. getting bigger than every other kid in school? Was that the case? Yeah, I was definitely bigger, you know, even back in, back in the day, you know playing rugby, you know, I was like twice as big as every other kid on the on the field. When I went to East London, there was kids who was just as big as me, you know, and that was, you know, that was pretty, that was why our team was pretty successful amongst, you know, other London, other teams across the country, you know. So, um, yeah, man, it was just, from that point forward, I kind of stuck with basketball, you know, it became my, you know, it became my passion. And that's kind of what, you know, my, my, I had hoop dreams of going to the NBA. So that, the NBA was, was the one, that, not the NFL, the NBA was there, that was your goal? Yeah, the NBA was my goal and um, it was just really, it was, it was just having that, you know, which kind of kept me with the, the belief in the back of my head that, you know, I was going to, you know, make it to America, you know. I mean, every growing up, every kid, you know, who played basketball, it was just about making it to America, you know, just to get the, just to get involved in it, just in, you know, in the kind of, where you need to be to have any chance of success, you know, which is not the case now. But, you know, that was the, like general uh, belief amongst us growing up, you know, me and my friends growing up in London. We just believe you had to get it to America, get to a college, get to a prep school in America um, to give yourself the best chance. There's still a fascination, though, with, with British kids and American sports getting to yeah. college, going pro. How do you see the dynamic now? What's the, what's the likelihood of a player here growing up being able to play pro sports in America? Oh, I think it's, you know, I think it's, you know, more likely than it was before. I mean, with the amount of, you know, social media, the amount, you know, YouTube, the amount of access that coaches and scouts have across the US mm. 
to find talent across the world is just unbelievable now. I mean, I think uh, last year, I'm not sure if it was last year or the previous year, but they had the most, in the NBA draft, had the most international players ever. The NFL draft had the most international players ever, I think, also. And it's just becoming now, it's like the NFL, the NBA, now it's not just America they're looking at, you know. Now it's the whole world, the competition, you know. So it's, um, you know, all these American sports are growing. And soon enough, it's going to be, there's going to be opportunities for kids all over the world, you know, to be able to work hard at what they, you know, their dreams, work hard at their goals and have the opportunity to, to um, you know, have a shot and play at maybe, you know, high school, college or even professional level. How much chance and opportunity do you have to interact with UK kids that want to play in the NFL, that love American football? Um, it's, you know, it's hard because I, can't, I often get, people often contact me from all over you know, from all over England. And, you know, I come back to London just for a short time. I mean, you know, I, the thing about when you're in the NFL is training is, takes, you know, principle out of everything. You know, training takes priority over any, anything else you're doing. So when I come back to London, I can't really get the proper training I need to feel prepared, you know, for the upcoming year. Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, it's like, you know, I want to come home and be able to kind of you know, give a, you know, statement or, or give a, you know, some support to people over here who have goals of making it, you know, in some kind of, some aspect of, you know, basketball or football over in the US. And, um, you know, I try to interact with as much people that reach out to me, but sometimes it gets hard, you know, because there's events here and there, mm -hmm. and I'm only back for such a short time, you know, and if I, you know, sometimes I may book, you know, I may agree to do something and in that case I may fly back just for that but in, in you know most cases I'm, I'm in America for you know most of the uh, events you know most of the things that happen in England you know. Back to school quickly uh, Daniel Radcliffe was in your school right? Yeah yeah. Did yeah. you know him well? Um, not well uh, shortly you know he was um, we were in the same year actually in the same class um, in um, in City of London, and so, you know, it's... And he was shooting the films, obviously, at this time. Yeah, yeah, and I hadn't seen the films at this time, and I was kind of unaware of how big, you know, these films <laughs> were, so it's funny looking back on it, and it's, you know, come, you know, often people ask me about it and the experience I've had, and, um, you know, it's just, a, it's just a normal, you know, kid at, at that point, you know, it was just in school, and, um, you know, it's just quite funny that we was in the same class together. Could you call him now, or...? No, no. I mean, now you know he's a Hollywood, you know, superstar. <laughs> so it's um, you know, now I, you know, I'm, we weren't as close enough that I would, you know, call him now and stuff like that. You know, I have a couple of friends from school who I stay in contact with, but it's been over ten years now. So, so you go to the states. You just mentioned to play basketball. Yeah. Um, your brother mentioned that the the environment wasn't it wasn't that great for you, and you got a bit homesick. Just walk us through that situation. Um, yeah, well, you know, naturally going to a different country. You know, 16 years old, I left all my friends, left my family. Um, you know, left everything I knew to go in London to go to New Jersey, which is like a suburb. You know, uh, a suburb town and a suburb area in the United States. You know, spread out. You can't walk around. You know, everywhere you go, you have to drive. Mm -hmm. So it's just a different culture shock. You know, the smallest things would become, for me, were like, you know, were major because it was everything, you know, I wasn't used to any of it. Um, yeah, going over there, it was, uh, it was tough to, to get integrated into the uh, basketball system just because I knew 
my prospects in terms of how I would be viewed from colleges and how, you know, they would want to use me. And um, I wanted to, you know, display my skills, my skill set a little bit more. Whereas, um, you know, the need for the team was, a, you know, a big man in the, you know, in the post. Mm -hmm. A big man down low who's, you know, rebounding and just, you know, being under the hoop. So you felt like you I had was, a few more guard skills, essentially? Well, yeah, exactly. And then being a big man in high school, it's, you know, you're not, there's no dribbling, you know, there's no, it's just, it's, there's no showcasing of what you can do. And when you go to the next level, I'll be too small, you know, ironically. I'm too small um, going into college to be, uh, you know, to play in the post because I'm 6'5", and typically they'll be around 6'9", six, six, you know, 6'10". So ironically, it would have probably been better for basketball reasons to stay in Europe because they right. are traditionally fundamentally a lot better. Yeah. If you're a big man, you can play, you can exactly. play point guard. Right, right, right. Yeah, so in Europe, I mean, it's a different style of play. Mm. But I think now, you know, just the way how, you know, the NBA is going, they're looking at talent all over the world. So I think now, you know, even playing in Europe, you know, there's, there's opportunity there. It's harder, no doubt, but there's definitely opportunity. So explain that, that the room you're in and also that international rule that prevented you from playing. Is it, was that right? Yeah, so um, going over at first, it was, um, it was tough because I was, I was um, an international transfer and technically I was an exchange student. An exchange student is there, you know, to study. But, you know, for exchange students to come over and then play, you know, on the varsity basketball team immediately, you know, it's you know, there's some there's the New Jersey whoever's in charge of the New Jersey basketball, you know, high school sports, you know, steps in and say, well, you know, is he here for education or basketball? And then I don't know, there was some uh, confusion about there was some mix up in, you know, whoever sent in a, a letter regarding my status and my what the reasons I'm there. And um, he um, basically I was just I couldn't play for the whole year because the New Jersey board of, you know, high school sports decided that, you know, I'm clearly there for sports, I'm not there for, you know, high school education. So I sat out the whole year. And, um, and but, you know, that was kind of a blessing because that's where I kind of picked up, you know, American football. That was where I, um, that was where I learned the sport, you know, you know, somewhat like the rules. And, um, you know, going to the high school games after after school, you know, I was watching and just kind of, Felt that I could play. How old were you when you first played then, American football? Um, I was 17, I believe, going in, going on 18. Um, you know, tried out for the team. Yeah, I mean, the coach was, you know, in my ear the whole time. The football coach was in my ear, you know, telling me to come out and play. And I just told him that I wasn't interested. All I cared about was basketball at the time. And then, um, you know, my second year being over there, my junior year in high school, um, I, uh, you know, I approached him and said, you know, I think I'd like to come and uh, try out for the team. And then he just asked what position I'd like to play, and I said uh, defensive end and wide receiver. You were both, yeah. okay. And I was actually an all-state wideout. Wow. So yeah, I was higher. I was kind of, uh, I did a lot better at wideout than I did at defensive end at first. What's your forty time? Oh, it was about. I mean, in, in high school, it was a little bit quicker. I think I was more of like a four-five. You know. And I think getting into college was more of a four six, and then you know leaving college in the combine, I ran a four seven six, unofficial. And then laser was like a four eight five or something. So, you know, laser is always a lot slower, but you know, 
I'm still convinced I ran a 4-6 at the combine, but, you know, that's all up for debate, man. Tell everyone that still. Yeah, man. Did you yeah, come back then? Like, after you didn't play basketball for the year and you started watching football, right, did you come back to do any exams or did you stay in America? No, I stayed in America. So I, um, I actually originally went over when I was 15 for the basketball camp and they were interested in me in that point, but my parents wanted me to do my GCSEs. So I came back for a year, took my GCSEs, and then I, um, and then I went back to the camp. You know, had to do, you know, showcase everything again, and then kind of, uh, you know, went from there. And they still wanted me to go over, so my parents were comfortable with letting me go after that. And um, that's kind of when I went over, you know. So Penn State, you went there. Um, yeah. How much attention does an English guy get at a college in America? Um, you know, this was cool because, you know, people, when you go to college for, you know, just typically in America, it's like you go, you know, meet new people, you know, discover new things, you know, interact with different, you know, cultures and stuff. And, um, you know, it was everyone in college, you know, the attitude, the atmosphere, and it, it's like, uh, you know, everybody's so interested to learn, you know, everybody's so fascinated by everything, you know, and Penn State's such a big school. I mean, we have people from all over the world, you know at Penn State. So it wasn't, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't crazy, you know, being from England, you know, going to Penn State. I mean, it was just more different. It was just different because I was from England and I played for the football team mm -hmm. at Penn State. So that was a little bit different, you know, and I think, you know, Penn State, they used that to kind of build my profile at the school and that, you know, I think was pretty cool. It's a rarity though. You played four years, right? right. So that's really, really, I know that America, in football, you have to play three years before you go to the draft. Right, yeah. But in, in basketball, it's one year and you're done. Or in high school, how, right. how rare is that nowadays, to stay in for four years? Um, it's, it's, it's really not that rare. I mean, going to college, and uh, typically when you go to uh, college and play football in America, you know, typically people redshirt. Now, a redshirt year is, you know, you know when you're um, coming out of high school and you're a freshman, a redshirt year is a year that doesn't count towards your eligibility as, of playing and it just kind of almost like a year to prepare so before you go into your freshman year. So out of my class, um, out of I think 15 recruits, 12 of them redshirted. So 12 of them did not play at all that year. And then me and then two other kids um, played that year. So as a true freshman. So um, typically, you know, people redshirt and then there's some people who come in as a, as a freshman, you know, play immediately, play their sophomore year, and then their junior year, they're up for eligibility mm -hmm. to leave. And, um, you know, they're good enough to go on and play in the league, you know. So that, that's, that's rare that that happens that way. But, um, yeah, I think it's common to kind of go in and play four years and, um, you know, go on and play in the league, you know. When did you realise scouts were watching you and, and you, you felt like you could go on to the next level? Um, you know, that was always my goal, but I, I always felt like I could, I felt like athletically I was always on par with anybody in the country, you know, in my position. Um, I, I felt like it was definitely a reality after I finished my freshman year and um, in my sophomore year I had a, like a breakout year in college. You know, I started my whole sophomore year, you know, I had, I was like fourth in the Big Ten in TFLs and I had like five, uh, I think five sacks. And, um, you know, it was just, I was getting a lot of word from the seniors at the time who were in contact with agents, who were in contact with the NFL teams and scouts and coaches and stuff. So they were, you know, sometimes the scouts or coaches from NFL teams would, would contact the agents and say, you know, 
tell so-and-so Crawford, you know, keep doing what he's doing or keep up the good work. He's pretty, you know, he's a decent player. And then I would kind of hear that feedback from the seniors at the time, you know. And, um, you know, that's kind of when I felt like it was definitely a possibility for me to go on and play in the next level. So walk me through draft night. You, Your family there or...? Yeah. I was with, in New Jersey with the uh, host family I've been living with since high school, you know. I was over there, you know, phone there, waiting for a call. I, I, originally, I didn't want to watch the draft. I didn't want to be in the same room as anybody watching it. I was, we was going to play, uh, you know, PlayStation with my friends and stuff like that. So I wasn't even interested in watching it because it's just too stressful to kind of, you know, sit there by the TV and wait for your name to get called. And if it doesn't get called, you know, it's like I'm sitting in a room full of, you know, people who are excited for you and I, you know, it's just like, <laughs> it's, you know, there's a lot of stress that goes into it. And I think a lot of people don't, you know, typically want to watch it, but they watch it just for their, you know, family and stuff like that. But um, it's, um, you know, we were just all sitting there, you know, day one happens, first round, no call. Day two, it's the second or third round, no word. And so it hit day three of the draft and, um, you know, I'm sitting there thinking that I'm not going to get drafted. Still playing PlayStation. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I mean, I wish I was, but I was sitting there watching it with the uh, uh, host family I'm living with in America. And um, yeah, still no word from any teams, you know, round four goes by and then, um, you know, it hits round five and then halfway through round five, um, I see that the Oakland Raiders are up on the screen and I had actually, I thought that they had already picked, I thought they had already, you know, uh, selected the draft pick and um, I don't know why, but I just, my phone was on vibrate, I don't know how. I think because people were trying to like, you know, text me and call me at the same time and I just wasn't, you know, I was getting so mad at people calling me. You know, you just don't call someone during the draft. That's just something you just don't do. Don't text them, don't call them, don't contact them at all. It's too big of a time to be trying to talk to someone and tell them, you know, good luck or whatever, you know. Um, so anyway, I, uh, yeah, I had my phone, you know, right next to me and then it starts ringing and I look at it and I had the Oakland Raiders number saved just from combine all the previous meetings with all the teams so I sort of said Oakland Raiders I looked on the screen and I saw the Oakland Raiders hadn't selected yet and then I realized I'm going to California yeah, yeah what, what's that what's that like because you, you've mentioned just at the top of the interview that you played on was it Nintendo the Raiders and it's yeah. a very traditional famous football team yeah um, I mean at the time it wasn't really the first thing that, that hit me was obviously the relief that I had been drafted, you know, it was just a kind of feeling of like gratification, it was a feeling of like, you know, it was such a, it's such a painful process to sit and wait through that once it, you know, once it happens it's like, all it is is just joy, you know, it's, it's just a feeling of like, you know, just absolute relief, you know, and then about five seconds later it hits you that it hit me that I'm going to be living in California, you know. So that was kind of like, you know, um, kind of bittersweet because I was so happy to be drafted, but living in California was so far from everybody I had knew, you know, known I'd become friends with and become close to in America that I wouldn't even be able to see them anymore, you know. I'm going to be f six hours away and I'm three hours behind on time. It's like, you know, nah, damn, now I'm moving on to the West Coast. And... um so that was kind of the, the second feeling that hit, but, you know, it was just, overall, it was probably going from, like, one of the lowest points you've ever felt to one of the highest points. 
in a matter of like seconds, you know, and that's kind of um, when it hits, it's just you know you're kind of like shaking and you're just kind of relieved. You played for Dallas as well, which is America's team. So mm. you've played for two classic franchises. Yeah. What's the pressure like playing in Dallas? Because it's so it's huge there, isn't it? It's massive. Yeah, um, I think I think the pressure doesn't change. Um, you know, re- you know, regardless of what team you play for. Um, I think that the pressure stays the same because I think that the pressure is internal. You know, I think the majority of players in the NFL, they, they put pressure on themselves to try and perform at a higher level because the NFL career is so short-lived that it's like, you know, it's every game, everything you do on tape counts towards your career and everybody just wants to be able to make a career out of it, play for as long as they can, you know, preferably somewhere, you know, 10 years and, and over. And um, and make a living out of it. I mean, it's it's a job, and it's very uh, it's a very high pressure job at all times for all teams. So um, I wouldn't say there's any difference in the pressure standpoint of playing for the Oakland and playing for Dallas, because at the end of the day, a player can you know you can only do so much as you can only do so much as to where you go. You know, in terms of teams, you know, you don't have a lot of choice. It's more to do with how you perform personally in your career. Do you worry about concussions? Um, I think there's always that kind of concern about, you know, just helmet-to-helmet contact. And, um, you know, with, um, with all the research that's come out and all the, the issues and things that's happened across the league, you know, and um, with, you know, players that have retired and stuff like that, it's, um, it's definitely an issue and it's in the back of your head. But player safety has improved so much, you know, in the past, I would say, 20 years that, you know, it just it, it, it's more to do with technique. It's more to do with knowing the line between okay, I'm still comfortable. I'm still, you know, I feel good playing this sport. As to okay, things are, you know, maybe it's getting a little bit risky playing this sport, and I should take myself self out of it. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, if a player doesn't feel comfortable in playing the sport because they feel like their health is at serious risk, then you know you can't blame them. But um, you know, I. I don't necessarily worry about it day to day, you know, I don't think about it often. I just, you know, it's one of those things where I think there's a fine line between, you know, if you're able to play or not, and then, you know, if I'm able to play, then I'm going to go 100%. So do you think the reason players like Chris Ball and Calvin Johnson retire is because of that and other health issues? I mean, how dangerous is it? Oh, yeah, I mean, playing as long as they have, it's like... Well, Chris Borland, he was a second-year player, right? Yeah, he was young. Right, and there's nothing, there's no... I don't have any judgment towards you know, him being a younger player, and people may think his future's ahead of him in the NFL. I, there's no... I don't have any kind of... I don't blame him at all. If he doesn't feel comfortable, mm. and if he feels like maybe he's had one too many concussions, you know, luckily I haven't... You know, I've never been diagnosed with a concussion yet. Do you ever think you've had one? Because um, they used to say your bell was rung, but now yeah, it's... Yeah, it's possible, you know. It's possible that maybe, you know, maybe a mild concussion, you know, you know, from hitting, you know, getting a pretty strong hit, you know, in the helmet. But it's it's something that, you know, with the right technique, you've got to try and, you know, avoid. And I think that that's general consensus across the league. I mean, no player wants to just put his helmet into another player and put his head down, and they don't teach that. You know, coaches often, you know... They, they, that's shunned upon the league. You know, you don't put your helmet down. It's dangerous for you, it's dangerous for them. 
you know, and nobody wants any, you know, anyone to get hurt, you know. So, um, in the UK, yeah, they consider rugby safer because of the tackling. Yeah. Now, how do you, if you're tackling a, say a guy's got a ball and he's running downfield, right? They will always lower their helmet to go down to the shoulder, right? So, how does a tackler? get either below that or stay above it they usually go in with them and that's when the helmets kind of collide um yeah i mean it's it's tough because it's you know it looks like that you know when you're watching mm. on tv it looks like you know obviously running backs put their head down when they're hitting the hole when they go through the line of scrimmage they put their head down and then linebackers who come through you know, also have to put their head down and get lower than the running back and some of these running backs are small mm. so it's not easy but it's, um, I mean, it just doesn't, you know, it, it doesn't often happen where you hit, you know, helmet to helmet, you know, when player, you know, when a player hits another player just dead on and they both put their head down. And I think, you know, that the level of the, the, the level of skill and level of technique in the NFL is so high that people, you know, defenders are taught to kind of go down, bend at the waist, drop their knees and drive through with their shoulder and it just becomes a habit. You keep your head out of it, you know, you, your head comes away from the, you know, the ball, the ball carrier, you know, you just have to kind of hit with your shoulder. And, um, you know, things happen in the NFL, you know, sometimes you get hit, you know, from awkward angles, but as long as you're keeping your head out of it, you know, it's relatively um, small in the long term, you know. Defensive line, offensive line, it's about three hours together. What's, you can't tell me everything, but what's said in there? Is it a lot of jawing, a lot of, there's a lot of physicality. What's it like? Oh, it's extremely physical. And I think most, I think 95% of the league don't even have the, the energy or the, you know, the mindset to start talking, you know, smack on the field because it's, you know, you're worried about your performance. You're worried about how to, you know, what you're going to do next, you know, what kind of, what, how this offensive lineman's, you know, setting you. They're, you're worried about the te- like their technique. You're worried about their scheme, what they're going to do next. So it's mind. There's a lot of mind games that go on. I mean, talking doesn't always, you know, it's it's beyond that. You know, you can't, you know, if you're talking smack, it's not. It's hard to get into uh, an offensive lineman's head who's been, you know, trained for this you know, this situation. He's been trained his whole life to deal with, you know, to play against the best, you know defensive linemen so it's um you know rarely do you hear people talking smack but it happens you know here and there it's aggressive game so you know it's you know emotions you know take over sometimes and people lose their cool and uh, you know that's just part of the sport man. so who's the hardest quarterback to bring down in today's game i mean i think that would go probably between cam newton and uh, big ben just because you know big ben is huge and uh you know, Cam Newton, he's, you know, he's like a, like a defensive lineman, you know, he's huge, you know, he's a 6'5", and he's, I don't know how much he weighs, he's got to be two, you know, 240 or 230-something, but he's, he's athletic, you know, he's strong. So, um, yeah, I would say one of those two, to bring down definitely one of those two. What's the biggest accomplishment if you've gone to a quarterback and taken him out, what was one of the great memories you can tell us? Um, I would say, yeah, I would say taking down Tom Brady. I mean, you know, he's a Hall of Fame quarterback. He's going to be a Hall of Fame quarterback. He's, I think, you know, one of the best quarterbacks ever to play the sport. It's pretty cool then, right? Yeah, <laughs> so it was pretty cool to bring him down. And I think just among, you know, play, you know, the public and the fans and their perspective, you know, bringing down Tom Brady is like a dream, you know. So, um, yeah, you know, for me that was 
definitely, you know, a highlight of my career. And, um, yeah, you know, it's something that I'm, uh, you know, kind of uh, happy that I did and proud of. You came to London last year with Dallas to play at Wembley. Yeah. So many people have asked you questions about this, but genuinely, how did it feel to come back and play down the road from your house? It's so crazy. Yeah, no, it was crazy. Um, you know, it was a, it was like a, almost like a dream come true. You know, I'd been playing this sport for, at the time, almost seven years. Oh no, longer than that, even about eight years. And, um, you know, to that point, it was pretty much just, you know, them trying to watch it online, you know, tune in and ask me how I'm doing, you know, what position I'm at and how, you know, how the season's going, how my body's feeling. At this point, you know, they got to see that live, you know, they got to see the game live. They got to see me perform and, and work, you know, for the first time. And it was not just my family, but it was all my, you know, a lot of my friends too, you know, they got to see me perform. And then I had my best game last year, that game also. So, um, that was like a that was a real treat for that to happen that way and um, yeah that was it's like a once in a lifetime thing you know to play at Wembley the you know historic you know venue it's like you know I couldn't have even it was almost like you couldn't have written a better story than that. Did you spend time with family or with your teammates bugging you for recommendations? Yeah, I mean it was a little bit of both. I mean, he has so many team functions coming over here. You know, it's hard when you travel so far and people are kind of out of their element in a different country. You know, so we have, our schedule was pretty tight, but any kind of free time I had, I was pretty much home, you know, with family or seeing friends, you know, around my area and stuff like that. It was funny because this was the one time where I was you know, I knew everything. I knew everyone, you know, where to go, how to see works and stuff like that. And everybody else is in, you know, a foreign country, you know, not understanding the geography of it, not understanding how to get around, you know, everybody's asking different questions. Everybody's asking me different questions. What did they want to do the most? Oh, people just wanted, you know, different restaurants, you know, people wanted good recommendations. People wanted to know, where, you know, where's, where to go shopping, you know, people wanted to know where to go, you know, to go, uh, I don't know, like not party, but you know, people wanted to go and you know where to go for like a drink or something like that. So mm-hmm. it was, um, you know, it was it was a fun experience. You know, it was funny that it was like everything flipped, and now it was like, you know, everybody was contacting me to like you know where to go, you know, where to go for this, where to go for that, and um, you know, it was it was cool. Do you talk to your brother or brothers after you've played on Sunday night? Do you do you call London? Do you call? Do you speak to them? Um, not not right after. I usually speak to them before the game. So I'll speak to them before the game and, uh, you know, call home and just um, tell them, you know, kind of how I'm feeling going into the game, you know, what you know what the goals are, you know, what I'm up against and give them an idea of what we're going into and then they'll often check the results, you know. After the game, you're so, you're so beat, you know, you're so dead. You often don't have a lot of, um, you know, you just don't have energy to do anything, you know. Even on a phone call, it's just hard, you know, because you just want to go home and relax. Um, so that's pretty hard. But I usually speak to maybe a couple of days afterwards, you know. When we have a day off or something, I'll speak to maybe my brother or speak to my mum, you know. And, um, you know, tell them how I did or tell them how I'm feeling and what happened, you know. And then, um, yeah, it's kind of like I do like on a weekly basis, you know, that's how I do it, you know, I like to, it's almost like a ritual now, you know, mm. I call my mum before every game and as I usually, I walk to, I drive to the stadium and then as I'm walking into the stadium, you know, I call her and then tell her what's going on and, you know, my mum, you know, she, 
she tries to understand football and all the teams, but she doesn't really know, you know. Or, you know, the, the teams, the positions, everything like that. You know, she's just, you know, I just tell her what's going on and then she just says, you know, good luck and, you know. It's, I've gotten to the mindset of doing it even since Penn State. It's just become a ritual now. It makes you feel better, definitely. Yeah, it definitely makes me feel a little bit more, um, gives me a little bit more peace of mind and, um, you know, it's just one of those things that you know, gets my mind ready to go. During the season, how much do you eat in a normal day? Um, and what do you eat? Honestly, I eat kind of, which is, you know, one of my, I think one of the things I need to do better. I, I, don't, I don't pick up my eating during the season. And then what happens is, is if you don't pick up your eating, you start to kind of fatigue, you know, during halfway through the season. And then I probably, and then at that point, I'll start to pick up my eating. I'd say like halfway through the season, I realize that I'm just tired, you know, and then I start to pick up my eating a little bit more. And then the practices start to simmer back a little bit. Mm. You know, so then during the end of the season, you can just see it across the whole locker room. Everybody just gets a little bit more out of shape. It's funny, but it's, um, you know, it's just your body is so, it just reacts to every single thing you do. It's so sensitive to everything you do because your job is just takes so much out of you that it's, you know, practice requires so much energy from you that if you, if I go a couple of days without practicing, you know, I look like a completely different person. You know, so it's. Um, but your calorie intake would be higher than my calorie intake, right? Yeah, yeah. Probably, I'm, I'm guessing it would be. But, <laughs> but do um, they give you a specific? I mean, I because you're burning so much energy, it's yeah. almost like you could eat what you want. But you are a professional right. athlete. Right, right, right. So yeah, so that's kind of how it is. I mean, going into training camp in July, August, and then um, you know, and then when the beginning of the season starts, you know, it is like that. You pretty much can eat whatever you want because your practice is so hard. You're exerting so much energy that everything you do, you're just burning it immediately. Um, we have a uh, we have a team nutritionist who um, you know who helps people if they can't lose weight or if they can't gain weight. She'll help set up a plan for you to kind of you know what to eat, when to eat, and at, at what times of the day. You know, and it's just. Um, that's, you know, that's been a help, you know, for me. I mean, I've always been kind of good at managing my weight, you know, when it comes to the season, when it comes to crunch time, you know, as it's taken ex extremely seriously across the league, you know, which is uh, being overweight is a findable offence. <laughs> Do you think linemen yeah. are in shape? Some of them. Oh, yeah. They're yeah. all in shape. Um, yeah, yeah. It's, they're definitely in shape, you know. I would say more so based on the scheme that the offence runs. Some offensive linemen are running downfield, you know, every play. Other offensive linemen are just, you know, big, you know, getting in the way and stuff like that. But um, they're definitely in shape. You can't say, you know, they're, you know, they're, they're in shape to do their job. And um, to do their job effectively, they have to be bigger. They have to be bigger than the defensive linemen, or otherwise they would have no chance of even stopping a defensive lineman getting to the quarterback. So um, I would say for the most part, you know, that they're in shape. You know, it's just about being able to kind of uh, manage that weight when you get done playing. And that's for all positions, you know, that's what... That's been a challenge for a lot of the uh, players I've seen who have done playing football, you know, that they tend to eat the same amount, but, you know, they're not exerting the same energy. So that's one of my, uh, my goals is to kind of get into, um, I would say, regular shape, you know, just being in shape after I'm done playing the sport because it's, uh, it's definitely something that's uh, common. So you don't watch sports away from the field? Um, no, not often. I'm not really uh, big into uh, you know watching sports on TV. You know, after I spend a long day at work, you know, 
in meetings, walkthroughs, practice, you know. The last thing I want to do, want to do is come home and turn on, you know, football, you know, to a sports centre or ESPN talking about, you know, so-and-so said this to the media and like, what did they, you know, who, what did they think about it on TV? You know, for a, for somebody who's in the sport, who's in the NFL, it, it, there's nothing, you know, nothing valuable comes from turning on the TV and hearing, you know, speculation about what was, what message was meant by what, who said what, you know, and... But not even live sports like, either, just not, you're not interested? Um, no, I'm not really, yeah, on TV, you know, I kind of try and separate myself, I, I like to, you know, kind of take my mind off it sometimes, you know, mostly, especially during the season, I like to take my mind off, uh, you know, just any kind of sport, I like to go home and watch a movie, I'll go home and watch something on, you know, a series I've been watching on TV, you know, it's just like, you know, I go home and watch The Walking Dead, or Homeland and kind of, uh, or making a murderer recently, and then, um, you know, that's just a lot more satisfying for me at the time because I know that the next day, the, you know, the first half of my day is going to be football, 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 and everything we do is about football, that you need that kind of, that release, you need that, you know, you have to get away from it, otherwise, you know, you just become consumed in it, you know. Got a few more. Um, yeah. Are you friends with Lord Deng? Do you know Lord Deng? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Lord Deng, uh, you know, we've been in contact, I think, yeah, since my uh, rookie year. And it's, um, you know, it's just natural for someone to be, you know, we're both over in the States and we're both, you know, mm. representing England, you know, over in uh, playing American sports, which there's a huge market for. There's a huge audience back over here who are interested in doing the same. And we both have the same mindset in the sense that we want to, we want to share our journey with everybody back in England. We want everybody and we want to represent everybody back in England as best we can, you know, when we're out there. And, um, you know, we've just been in contact. We've been friends since, you know, uh, we met, you know, my uh, rookie year. And, um, you know, we went down to L.A. together, just, you know, have a fun weekend and off season. And, um, yeah, man, he's a really good guy, man. Excellent guy. And he's, you know, a hell of a player. So, um you know, I tried to kind of meet up with him when I can, but um, yeah, good to, um, I like to stay in contact with him. Yeah, you both got busy schedules. Yeah, um, yeah. The International Series, obviously yeah. want to get your take on that. Do you think we kind of take it for granted here? Because we're now, we're always talking about a franchise and more yeah. games, but we've got so much already. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think we take it for granted, because I think that for the most part the games sell out, you know, immediately. I think that the games sell out within, within hours. And, um, you know, I just think it's excellent for the sport and I think it's excellent for, you know, the, the international series for England, you know, especially for the fans over here that want to see their team play, you know, want to see just, you know, a live NFL football game, you know, with some of the best players in the world, so um, best athletes in the world. So it's, uh, I think it's a really good thing, you know, I think it's, um, they, there's eventually, you know, if they start increasing the amount of games here, then, you know, there's going to have to be a, almost like a set routine for a team that comes over for England because I think the one the one issue is is the obviously it's the flight mm. and the jet lag and everything that comes with traveling this far and getting ready to play a game you know and then going back to your regular season schedule it's tough on players you know it's tough or it's tough for a team to kind of travel this far play and then come back and then get ready to play again you know and that's um that was the, that's been the only issue, but you know when we came over, it was fine. You know we kind of had a routine, we had a schedule, and we made it work. You know, and I think that that's um, you know I think you know that the fact they're playing five games, I think this season coming up, 
you know, just shows the popularity of the sport in the UK and across Europe. I mean, yeah, people are traveling around Europe just to come to watch see the game. So there's obviously a, a high demand for the sport over here. And uh, I think it's going to continue to grow. You did it yourself, though. So what was the logistical sticking point other than the flight? Because you do get a bye week at the moment afterwards. But oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. If there was a franchise to come here, yeah. what did you see when you came to play that would be a real problem? Um, yeah, well... Of course, the, the flight time. I mean, and then you kind of go into all the, the small details, the logistics of, you know, you get paid, you know, what you get taxed mm. living here as opposed to living in the States. So the cost of living here is higher than anywhere you're going to live in the States. Um, and then it's just, um, you know, and then it's other things like, you know, you have a kid who grew up maybe in Mississippi or Texas or Alabama anywhere. And now he's drafted and shipped off to London. The culture shock can play a big part on their career also. You know, they've been in the States their whole life. They're playing in a league in the States. And now they're shipped off across the Atlantic to play, you know, a sport which is based in America. So it's, it's, it's definitely would, it would be a, um, a challenge bringing a franchise here. But at the same time, you know, I don't know if we're that far from that point. You know, I think that with all with the push and everything that's pushing the sport, um, you know, across seas, and for the high demand it has over here, that you know, there's a way of making it work. It's just about finding that way and uh, you know, making it um, possible for teams to kind of be over, based over here and then you know, you know, travel back and forth. You know. You've said that you don't watch sports, you like to watch history programmes and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you ever think about, or are you in the process of, what am I going to do after football? Yeah, yeah, so that's always a big question, you know, for any football player. And it's, it's hard, honestly, I mean, because, you know, tomorrow's never promised in the league. You know, your career could end tomorrow. And um, for most of the players in the league, you're not prepared for that. You know, as much as you think about it, it's just hard to kind of preoccupy your mind with what you would want to do outside of football when football takes up so much energy it takes up so much of your time it's hard to think about but um you know it's it's uh it's tough you know I'm just for now I'm kind of really trying to focus on you know football and trying to make the most out of my career but you know if you do that if you if you you know play well if you you know make a little bit of money out of it then it'll give you sufficient time to kind of come give yourself an idea of what you may want to do afterwards, you know, and that's pretty much the goal for everyone, you know. It's a tough sport, you know, you could be moving around all the time, you know, and it's um, it's just the nature of the game, man. But there's no inkling of where you'd like to sort of veer off to? Um, yeah, honestly, man, not, not really, not for now, you know. I mean, hopefully, you know, a little bit further down the line, but, you know, right now it's... Um, there's not, not uh, you know, I have passions and I have, uh, you know, things that I enjoy, but not like a real career, you know, path that I would see myself going in, into right now. Our next portion of the Jack Crawford interview will be outside his flat. You'll notice a difference in surroundings, but I just wanted to interrupt that interview quickly to talk about our partners at redzonesports.com. The US Sports Podcast is sponsored by our partners at redzonesports.com, the bespoke British bookmaker for American sports, as well as the best odds on US sports, money can't buy prize promotions, and their very own cheerleading squad. You can get an exclusive £60 deposit match bonus as a new customer by using deposit code USSP on your first deposit. Just head to redzonesports.com, register top right of the site, 
and enter USSP. Red Zone is for over 18s only. Betting should be fun, so please gamble responsibly. Let's head outside with Jack. Do you like London? No, I love London, man. It's, it's funny, but it's nothing like it, you know. Even in New York, I say New York was the closest thing in the States to London, the closest city you'll have to London. But even New York's different, man. It's just more compact. It's just very, you know, it's different in London in the sense that London's just spread out, you know. In London, you have this, this you know, the diversity in London is just, you know, it's unique, man. I bet this place has changed since you were growing up here. What was this road like when oh, you were yeah. young? yeah, it's changed a lot, man. It's like since I was growing up, I mean, all my friends have moved out, you know, from this spot, you know, since I was growing up. I was like, my mum's pretty much the only one who's stuck here in this house since my, uh, you know, all my friends' parents and that, they've all left. So um, it's just getting too expensive now. London in general is just getting, you know, way too... It's like they're just kind of slowly kind of, you know, pushing you know, people out and having just, you know, the prices are just getting too high. So eventually I think that's going to be what's going to happen to my mum. Your brother Paul played for England, right? Yeah. Junior team, basketball. Yeah. What kind of an example did he set for you growing up? Um, you know, both my brothers were, you know, top basketball players, you know, coming out of London, playing there and growing up. So I always just kind of, you know, followed their footsteps, you know, playing basketball, I would hang out with them, I'd want to play with them all the time. You know, and I was the youngest, and I was actually younger than everybody on the street. So growing up, like, all my friends and that were, like, a couple of years older than me. So, you know, I was always trying to kind of, like, not keep up, because I was bigger than a lot of people, so I kind of fit in. Mm -hmm. But in terms of my brothers, you know, I just kind of followed their footsteps, and I was playing basketball, you know, on the streets. We was playing football along the streets, you know, breaking windows and stuff here and there. Um, yeah, we was playing, we was growing up just playing all kinds of games, you know. And the the, do people look at you twice here now when you, when you come back? What does he uh, do? What's his profession? Yeah, I think it's kind of weird. You know, when I come back now, it's like people just, you know, I don't know, I think they're just like, hey, this guy's huge. <laughs> and that's pretty much it. It's like, I wonder what he does. You know, in London, it's like, you know, the same, the same, the sports doesn't have the, you know, the, I mean, especially football, doesn't have the same uh, buzz, you know, in America, doesn't have the same... Uh, doesn't have the same, uh, you know, following it has. So a lot of people wouldn't suspect that from first looking at me in America. You know, when I'm over in the States, a lot of people look at me and they're like, yeah, he's got to play, got to play football, you know. He's got to do something because he's just huge. But, um, you know, back here, it's, you know, it's kind of mixed, you know, sometimes. But, I mean, quite, uh, you know, it was funny when I came back this time, I was going through customs coming back, the, you know, in England, and the person who was checking my passport, he knew who I was. <laughs> So that was pretty funny because he recognised me and he actually played for the, uh, I think, the Birmingham Lions or something. So he, um, that, was, that was pretty funny. That was nice to have that. What do you make of American football here in terms of trying to get it into bucks at university level and junior yeah. level flag football? Oh, it's, I mean, that's happening. It's, it's, that's inevitable. The sport's growing. It's just going it's, it's huge. You know, it's going to be, you know, it's just about you know, when it explodes and, you know, what happens next. There's going to be, you know, it just keeps growing and something, eventually there's going to be something, you know, a, a channel over here. There's going to be some form of, you know, football over here or a league over here where people actually go and, you know, you know go to the games and support the teams and stuff like that. The sport's way too big and the following over here is just getting way too large that it's, it's just growing. So it's, it's just about when, what happens and when. You got any friends still here? 
now all my friends have moved off the street actually you know my friends are still in this area but you know due to you know just london's getting too expensive now so they just they moved out the kind of moved a little bit further out than here you know a lot of my friends have kids now you know working full time you know london's a tough city man it's hard to kind of you know get a lot of uh you know, free time, you know, you know, it's a lot of hard work, you know, just to stay, keep your head above the water. So, um, you know, I respect that. And, you know, I always catch up with them when I come home, but I, I understand the fact that they're working full time to support their family. So I don't really, you know, ask them to do too much. You know, I just kind of come home, see my family, you know, go out to dinner and stuff and catch up, you know, every year. We were just talking there about recovery process. Yeah. What do you do after a game and what hurts? So after a game, I mean, it's, you know, it's pretty much like, you know, full body is just hurting, you know, from head to toe, you most of the time, you know, after a game, you're just, you're exhausted, you know, for one, and then your body, there's injuries that you don't even feel until the next day, you know, it feels like you've been hit by a bus, you know, but um, your body gets used to it, man, you know, the human body's very resilient, and it recovers, and, um, you know, for me, my, you know, my, after a game, I have, you know, not a ritual, but I have like a routine I go through, you know, I go into the, the facility, I'll go into the cold tub, you know, I'll go get a massage if I have to. And I, I actually go to one thing called a float tank out there, which is just a bath full of Epsom salt, which you float in because it's so dense. And it's, to me, I find that very helpful. Other people have different things, you know, how people do the hyperbaric uh, oxygen chambers, you know, there's a lot of different things, you know, people do, you know, some people don't do anything, but it's, you know, I think after playing four years now, being, you know, considered a vet now, it's, it's um, one thing I think is important just for, you know, your career and life after your career is just taking care of your body, you know, because it, it catches up with you. How are your hands? You know, my hands are all right, you know. They are, they are, um, they are you know, a little bit weak right now, a little bit more, you know, a little bit bruised and beat up, but, you know, it's just about kind of doing the workouts right, and getting that strength back in them. It's funny, but you realize after a while that your body kind of goes for a yearly routine. And it's almost like your mind kind of senses that your body's about to go through something very intense. And then you hit the off season and you just go into shutdown mode. And, you know, a lot of people, you know, me, it's like, I, I don't do anything for at least, you know, a couple, couple of weeks, three weeks. I just relax and then you can just feel your body, you know, you got all that adrenaline out, you got all that excitement out from the season, your body just, it's hard to get up out of bed in the morning because your body's just not having it. Last one, yeah. when, you finish your, when you finish playing in the NFL, is London home or is the States home? Um, that's tough, you know, my parents ask me that a lot, you know, my, my brothers ask me too and um, it, it's tough, man, because you just never know what's going to happen and a lot of the time, you know, you develop a career somewhere and then next thing you know, your friends are there, you know, maybe your, your significant other's there and, you know, you've built a foundation there. Now it's like, that's become your home. You know, I've been away from the, I've, I've lived outside the UK for 10 years now. And, um, you know, I still, cons I always consider London home, you know, because this is where I'm from. This is where I grew up. But then part of me, I, you know, considers like the East Coast home, like New York, New Jersey area, because I'm so familiar with it now. And I have made a lot of friends out in that area. You know, that's why I went to college around the area in high school. That, um, you know, for me, it's like they both kind of feel like home right now. I think after I'm done playing, um, it just kind of comes down to where I feel most comfortable. You know, I, I honestly ask myself the same question a lot and it's not easy. It was really great to talk to Jack for that amount of time. 
He's doing really, really well, and we're all super proud of him over here in the UK. Dallas really contenders this season. It looks like Jack's going to have his first true run in the postseason. A couple of seasons ago, he had his chance with the Cowboys when they lost to the Packers, the Des Bryant catch that wasn't a catch. Uh, looking like the Cowboys are going to go at least to the NFC Championship game this season. So good luck to Jack for the rest of the season. My four storylines today, I'm going to start with the announcement and sticking with the NFL theme of the London games for next season. Four games have been announced for next season. Half a home schedule of regular season matchups. It's the most games we've seen so far. Remember, three uh, in 2016. So in weeks three and four, which are not ordered yet, so the schedule for the NFL comes out in spring next year, so all of these will be clarified officially. But in weeks three and four, we will have the Ravens at the Jags and the Saints at the Dolphins in any order. Those are both at Wembley Stadium. And then in week seven and eight, again, we don't know specifically what day these games are going to be on. Both at Twickenham, the Vikings at the Browns and the Cardinals at the Rams. Like I said, springtime, the full schedule for the NFL will be revealed. So you'll know kickoff times and exact dates. Two back-to-backs here, the closest sign yet um, of a bigger future. I hate to use the word franchise because I don't know what's you know, at stake here. Everyone's talking about a franchise, but just to play two back-to-backs, they tried a few changes this season. The Colts went home, didn't have a bye. Um, new teams of these four games. The Cardinals have never been here. The Ravens neither, or the Browns. Uh, and after this next season, it will be 26 teams out of the 32 in the NFL would have come to play in London. So what do I think about these matchups? Well, obviously... It's a mixed bag and it always is with London because of scheduling issues and the fact that teams like the Packers and the Seahawks, who everyone wants to see, won't give up a home game to play here. But I think we're very fortunate to have four games. You look at the the comments and the feeds after this was announced, a lot of people complaining and moaning about the quality of teams. And you you could make a point that the NFL want to grow the game here, but yet they're sending over some bad teams and some bad matchups. But it's happening all over in the United States. The ratings are down, saturation of the game. And we're just fortunate because the NFL don't have to play a single game here. You know, 10 years ago, there were no games here. So four games, first of all, is great. Of course, we don't know what's going to happen with those new teams. Let's start with the Ravens. Very good defense. Joe Flacco at quarterback. And I always look at quarterbacks when teams come over. Who am I watching? Joe Flacco is a so-so guy. But Baltimore will give you that competition. Great D, great coach in John Harbaugh. They're going to compete against the Jags who we've seen before. Uh, Blake Bortles, will he be starting at quarterback? Gus Bradley probably won't be there as head coach. Saints at Dolphins is an intriguing one. Looks like that'll be a high-scoring matchup. Ryan Tannehill going down last week, going to miss the rest of the season. He was just starting to fire under Adam Gase, and that Dolphins team were looking pretty good. But that'll be a high-scoring game. Drew Brees has been here before with the Saints. Fantastic play from him. And then you've got, obviously, Jay Ajayi coming back home to play. So that will probably be the standout game in this set. Cardinals at Rams is weird because the Rams, who have just fired Jeff Fisher, they're not a good team to watch. uh, And they weren't very exciting at Twickenham. Will Jared Goff be playing? Will we see the first uh, performance from Goff? Remember, he wasn't playing in London this season. The Cardinals, Carson Palmer, we don't know if he'll be playing next season at quarterback for them. If he's not starting, they could be a 7-19. They're not playing well this season. And then you've got Vikings at the Browns. The Browns, we know they haven't won a single game this season. The Vikings, they might or might not have Teddy Bridgewater back for the start of the next, for the next season. By week eight, 
you would hope that Bridgewater would be back, but you might also see Sam Bradford. So with all these games, you're seeing a theme here that we're not quite sure what we're getting in terms of the personnel. You know, there's a lot of numbers on NFL UK. They announce you know, how many fans we've got here. It says on the NFL.com website that according to internal research, I don't know what that means, uh, the UK has a fan base of more than 30 million people now. And that includes 4 million avid fans. That's a, lot of, that's a lot of people. I'm not sure whether that's completely accurate. And I don't know how they study this. They, they keep saying that television ratings are up. But these are the games that are, in front, that are in front of us. I'm looking forward to it. Where is this going? I think 2018 you're going to see more of a shake-up. Because then we get the Tottenham Hotspur ground. We'll have matchups there. We might move away from Twickenham because of the transport links. Um, and, and the, some of the issues they faced last season. But two games at Twickenham back-to-back, that's a real test for the infrastructure there. 2018 is when you're going to see the big changes. New stadium, you probably get five games. You know, We've gone from three to four this for next season. And like Jack Crawford said, he doesn't think we're too far away from a franchise. But I don't want to talk about that too much. We all know the target is 2022 for the league. But they've just played a game in Mexico. They might go to Germany. We don't know. I think London should just be fortunate that we have more games. And how about move one up north? How about we take an NFL game to Old Trafford? Let's see about that. But for now, to recap, the four games in London next season, Ravens at Jags, Saints at Dolphins, Vikings at Browns, and the Cardinals at the Rams. Last point on the NFL, Tom Brady in my second storyline today. How good is Mr. Brady? Is he the MVP despite missing four games at the start of the season because of the Deflategate suspension? The Patriots at 11-2. He's thrown 22 touchdowns to two interceptions, 68.5% completion rate, 2,876 yards, and he's 39 years of age, and he's married to Giselle, and he plays for the Patriots, a quarterback, and he's got the best coach in the league. Anything else, Tom? 17 seasons he's played in the NFL now, 202 career wins, which is the most all-time. Monday Night Football last week, Tommy had the spotlight against the Baltimore Ravens, the stingy, tough Ravens defense. He only goes and throws for 406 yards, three touchdowns, and the Pats win a game that was closer than it should have been, 30-23. But they're peaking in December. The Pats is an interesting topic because they're peaking now where they weren't last this time last year. If you don't remember, the Patriots lost their final two regular season games, which meant they seeded home field advantage all the way through the AFC playoff field to Denver, and they eventually lost to the Broncos uh, in Denver, who went on to win the Super Bowl. But they're peaking in December this year without Rob Gronkowski. And the keys, because he's missing, Dion Lewis, he's back now. Great back for Brady to have behind him. The rookie, Malcolm Mitchell, and free agent pickup last offseason, Chris Hogan, who uh, is turning into the go-to guy for Brady. Juden Edelman not been as impactful this season. Hogan has been that guy. And Martellus Bennett is now your Gronkowski. Absolutely, he has to be. Were they vulnerable trading Jamie Collins? And losing Gronk, well, absolutely they were. But Bill Belichick and co are heading for their seventh straight playoff bye. And if the Patriots warm up in December, you know they're going to be strong going into the postseason. Brady was screaming to the sideline as we go back to that Monday night game. Uh, There was an early play against the Ravens and he threw it towards Julian Edelman. Wasn't happy with where Edelman ran his route. Tom Brady screaming to the sideline. He wants high energy. He wants to show that prime time is the Patriots' time, and they have to get this number one seed. Now a game ahead of the Raiders and the Chiefs for the number one seed in the AFC. And like I said, with them seeding home field advantage to Denver last season, guess who the Patriots play on Sunday? Yep, that's right, the Broncos in Denver. Another great defense for Brady to try and defeat. 
And that'll really make his MVP case. Back-to-back weeks, the Ravens and the Broncos. At his age, the numbers he's putting up, and the fact that he also missed four games. Dak Prescott, I think, he lost the MVP in New York last week against the Giants. Derek Carr probably lost his MVP in Kansas City. Two games that you want to go and see a statement win from. If Brady can beat Denver, I think he, he is ahead of those two now for the MVP race. Third on the agenda today, and it's baseball. I miss baseball, do you? I really miss baseball. I I love it when it comes towards February time, March, we get into spring training. But for now, we have to talk about some of the moves that teams are making. The winter meetings have come and gone. Now, uh, Aroldis Chapman signed with the Yankees, which meant the best closer left on the market was Kenley Jansen. And the Dodgers have made some moves. They've re-signed Jansen and Justin Turner. They're two uh, key free agents. Let's start with Jansen. He re-signed for five years and $18 million. He flirted with the Marlins and the Nationals, but it just wouldn't look right, uh, him pitching in another jersey. Last year for the Dodgers, nearly 70 innings he pitched, 1.83 ERA and 47 saves. Just a really cool story, and that's why I say that it wouldn't look right in another jersey. And the fact that I am a Dodger fan, so very happy about this. But he's a former catcher, learned how to be a pitcher, loved by his teammates, and he's the all-time leader in saves for the Dodgers, 189. He's also the all-time leader in strikeouts by a reliever, 632. I just saw a team guy in the postseason last year. The Dodgers fell two games short of the World Series. Remember, they haven't been to a World Series since 1988. They lost to the Cubs, 4-2 overall. But Jansen, I saw a team player. Five of his seven appearances in the playoffs, he was asked to get more than three outs by manager Dave Roberts. He pitched three innings at one point. Him and Kershaw were doing essentially everything in terms of pitching. Uh, the Dodgers paid him $10 million last season and he wasn't concerned going into his free agent year. He wasn't concerned with maybe I'll break down and get an injury and my value will be less if I, if I pitch too much in the postseason. No, he went out there and tried to win games for LA. He's a team player and he's been rewarded nicely. And the other guy they've picked up, Justin Turner, four years, $64 million. So those two deals combined to make $144 million. So Turner is the glue of this team. Long ginger hair, good defender, kind of signed from New York as a, okay, that's a, you know, that's an okay signing. He, he fills some holes. He can play the infield. But Justin Turner's become one of the key players for the Dodgers, which is proven by this contract. It was funny, along with Yasil Puig and Scott Van Slyke, Turner was actually at Kenley Jansen's wedding a couple of days before either of these two had signed a deal. So I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall to hear what those two said about it. And the rumours were they had, the Dodgers had to cut their operating debt this offseason because their, you know, their payroll is obviously massive. The Guggenheim baseball management team have got a lot of money, but they spent a lot of money and they're going to have to bring that, that payroll down. But they just couldn't live without these two. They've also tabbed Rich Hill, the pitcher, uh, there's some holes in the bullpen at second base and they have to decide what they want to do with Yasil Puig. But they decided they could not go forward without these two. And the key here for me, they haven't given up any of their youth like the Red Sox have. We've seen with the Red Sox bringing in Craig Kimbrell, Chris Sale. They've had to give up a lot of prospects. The Dodgers haven't done that. In fact, they haven't given up a single prospect since the Guggenheim Baseball Management Group came in four years ago. They won four straight NL West titles. No other team has been to the postseason the last four years. They were 4-2 losers in the NLCS last year. As I said, 1988, the last World Series appearance. But they are trying to reset their guys, bringing back pretty much the same team next season, it looks like, with these two additions. And if they can shore up the bullpen, keep their young, the youth movement, as it were, for next season, they're going to be right up there with the Cubs again next season. And finally, I thought for an NBA topic this week, why not talk about the Memphis Grizzlies? 
17 and 9 in the West right now, fifth in the conference without Mike Conley, without Chandler Parsons. Chandler Parsons was their most expensive outside addition in franchise history. Mike Conley was signed to the highest contract in NBA history, but Conley will miss uh, roughly six weeks, which goes back to about two weeks ago. Chandler Parsons only played six games this season. David Fisdale, the new head coach there, his system, he is changing the game. Back in Miami, where Fisdale has been, he was a former player development guy, uh, worked a lot with LeBron James, watched a lot of film with LeBron and all those great players in Miami. Yes, the Memphis Grizzlies still win with grit and grind. Yes, they're still a top five defense. But Fisdale has said to Mark Gasol, 31 years of age, by the way, 255 pounders, 7 foot 1, go and shoot me some threes. Mark Gasol has made 38 three-pointers this season. His career high before that was three. He's shooting 43% from the three-point range. Gasol, he can still bully you. He can still face you up in the post. But now he can take his defender 25 feet and out. And he's shooting the ball, like I said, 43%. His brother Power is shooting 45%. This is the way the league is going now. Mark Gasol kind of catches the ball, ponders the three-point shot, decides and sees that his defender is not going to come towards him, and then fires it up. But Fisdale has told him to shoot threes. How, this is how you extend your career. This is how you make your, your game even better. Another decision he's made is to take Zach Randolph out of the starting lineup. Jamarco Green has replaced him in the starting lineup. So Fisdale playing a lot more young guys. Andrew Harrison, because of Mike Conley's injury, has had a chance to play. The former point guard from Kentucky, six foot six, so a big point guard. He's long. He needs to improve his shot, but he's getting a lot of minutes now. Having Mark Gasol and Zach Randolph on the court at the same time, it makes pick and rolls a lot harder. There's less space in the paint for the ball handler to drive into or, or a big man to dive to the rim. And you couldn't extend the defense past the three-point line with those two. Now, Mark Gasol's minutes, 80% of his minutes have been without Zach Randolph. You've seen it with other teams as well, taking out one of their big guys. Al Jefferson, for instance, in Indiana. Greg Monroe in Milwaukee. Jaleel Okafor in Philadelphia. Even Ennis Kanter in Oklahoma. That's the way teams are going at the moment. And it just opens extra space in the half-court offense. We talked about Marc Gasol's threes. Memphis, as a team, are attempting seven more three-pointers a game. Gives Mike Conley more time to work, more time to play his game. And the Grizzlies, grit and grind they are, 10-0 and in games decided by five points or fewer. David Fisdale has been one of the great additions to the coaching carousal this year. He's doing great things without his best teams, without his best players. And if Conley can come back healthy, still young, mid-January return is on the table. And Chandler Parsons, because Memphis don't have that shooter on the wing other than Vince Carter, who's not going to be able to do much more at the age of 39, just like Tom Brady is, by the way. But if he can get Parsons back, Conley back healthy, the rookies had some time to play. Gasol is even better than ever. Career high averaging right now in points per game. Zach Randolph buying in on the bench. It's got the ingredients to be a pretty solid team in the postseason. So there you have it, a monster podcast today. Thanks to Dallas Cowboys defensive lineman Jack Crawford for coming onto the podcast. You can find him on Twitter at sack underscore religious. Pretty cool Twitter bio if you go onto his page. I love the quote Jack's written. What would you attempt if you knew you could not fail? Well, I learned today from Jack that you should not call anyone who is about to be drafted into professional sports on the day of their draft. Do not call them. Do not text them. Leave them well alone. You can find the US Sports Podcast official page on Audioboom. 
can also download and subscribe at iTunes. And please, if you will, and you have some time, leave me a little review on iTunes. And remember our sponsors over at redzonesports.com. Enter deposit code USSP when you register for an exclusive £60 deposit match bonus as a new customer. You can find me on Twitter at Max underscore Whittle. Thank you for listening as always. And this weekend and for the next seven days, enjoy the games.